Good morning, Syracuse. It's always good to come to Syracuse. Um, one of the things I like about Syracuse is that you have hot chocolate. I don't know if any of the other campuses have hot chocolate, but Syracuse has hot chocolate. There's a little guy getting some hot chocolate this morning, and he was like, Mom, when can I have coffee? I'm like, what do you want coffee for? Just drink the hot chocolate. It's good. But it's good to be here today. We've uh, obviously last week was Easter, and so two weeks ago um, we were in Mark. We've been in Mark for a long period of time. But we were ending uh, chapter three in Mark the last time that we got together. And chapter three ends with Jesus mother and brothers on the outside and Jesus saying to those that are on the inside that those that do the will of God are my mother, my brothers, and my sister. And he followed that up later on by making this comment. He said, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. I imagine most of us have wrestled with this in, in our life in one way or another where we've questioned, well, how come this family member has received the message and is in favor with God and this other family member has not? Or why does one receive the message and it kind of just stops there and another one receives the message and it impacts everything that they do and it impacts everyone that they interact with? And maybe even a deeper question if we're really honest with ourselves, is why, if Jesus is God incarnate, God himself, that healed the lame, that came to establish the kingdom of God on earth and said it was at hand, did not all the people respond the same way? Why are there so many different responses to this kingdom that Jesus was introducing? Well, Jesus is going to answer that in Mark chapter 4 in a parable. And so our passage starts off today with verses 1 and 2. It says, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables such as this one. So a parable in the Greek literally means to throw alongside, to compare. And a parable basically takes a story that's an earthly story and also has a heavenly meaning, spiritual meaning attached to it. In addition, a parable has one main point. It is not intended to have more theological 
positions than for the various parts of the story. There's just one main point in a parable. And it's interesting that Mark did not include a lot of parables in his book, um, very few parables, but he included enough to show why Jesus taught in parables and how he taught in parables. And Jesus had reasons, he had a purpose for teaching in parables. And we're going to look at that. It actually gives an explanation of why he teaches in parables about halfway through our passage today. So we're going to jump to that and look at why Jesus taught in parables. And we pick that up in verse 10 of Mark chapter 4. And it says, Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scripture might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Well, that's probably one of the most difficult passage of scripture to wrap your heads around because we know that God desires everyone to know him. How many of you are familiar with the Rubik's Cube? Raise your hand if you're familiar with the Rubik's Cube. So the Rubik's Cube is a a puzzle that's made up of different colors and you're supposed to twist it all around and it's supposed to come up with all of the colors the same on every single side. And I watched a, doc, a documentary on this um, of the world championship for a Rubik's Cube. Did anybody see that? Anybody? Okay. You did. Good. All right. So there was a documentary on championship of the Rubik's Cube. And believe it or not, these individuals were solving this puzzle in 3.5 seconds. It was like incredible. I I, I was like just blown away that they could do it in that amount of time. Because for me, it's completely hidden. I'm completely blind to how to fix that puzzle or to do that puzzle. But I know that the truth is there because these other people can see it clearly. I mean, there's algorithms that they use to solve the puzzle. And those algorithms in their minds are like as clear as the sky. But for me, it's hidden. I'm a complete outsider to that world. And I will remain an outsider as long as I really don't care about it. (laughs) And it doesn't matter to me, and I'm happy with my life if I know it or don't know it. Um, And I may not even want to believe that I could really solve it. So, in fact, I had a Rubik's Cube for years, and I think a month ago I threw it away, and now I need it as an illustration. But (laughs) I threw it away because I had no purpose for it. But all that just to say that nothing's going to change unless I open myself up to the truth 
and I have a desire to solve it. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to come to me, especially since I've kind of rejected it. In Matthew's account of Jesus' explanation of why he uses parables, he includes these words of Jesus. It says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. We don't give the keys to our car or to our house to anyone, do we? That would be foolish. We may give it to some people, we may not give it to others, and it's really dependent on a relationship with them. I doubt you would give somebody your car that says, hey, I'm gonna use it in a, in a derby that wrecks cars. You, you wouldn't do that. And Jesus chose to teach in parables to share truth with those that had hearts that were open to receiving and to keep it from those that rejected him and had hearts that were not receptive. One commentator puts it this way. He says, parables act as mercy towards those receptive and judgment for those opposed. So we have a little understanding then of why Jesus chose to teach in parables. Well, with this in mind, we can now kind of turn to the parable that we have before us to answer that question of why there are so many responses to the message. So we'll go back to verse 3 and start the, the parable that Jesus began to teach in. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. I got the wrong passage up there. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. So Jesus describes four different types of soils that the seed fall on. And even though we're not really part of that culture, we can grasp this and understand it. On a farm, you're going to have footpaths where people trod repeatedly. Usually when you see that, it's barren because the soil has been compacted so hard, nothing can grow there. So if seed falls on that ground, it doesn't sink into the ground, it stays on the top of that ground. And the birds come and they can easily eat the seed and take it away. On a farm, you're also going to have some soil that isn't that deep. I have some property in Cedar City. I can dig a hole, and two feet over, I can try to dig a hole, but I'm going to hit rock 
because there's rock that kind of goes through my whole property, goes like in a line across my property. And it's sideways too. So I won't go into that geological part of that, but anyways, if I were to try to plant and put some seed by that rock, it might start to grow, but it's not gonna continue to grow. It's gonna not live long at all. A third soil you will find on a farm is where there is too much water or not enough water, and as a result of that, weeds and thorns grow more than other places. I don't know about you, but I hate weeds. How many of you hate weeds? I mean, there's some weeds already growing in my front lawn area, and it's like they're evil because it's like they're smiling at me, just mocking me um, because they're going to come back and they're going to come back and they're going to come back. It's just, I hate weeds. I hate weeds. But the seed that falls in these areas initially does fine until those weeds and thorns come along and they're more aggressive than the seed itself and they overpower those new plants and they choke them out. And then on a farm, you have that real strong, fertile soil. And that soil is so fertile that those plants naturally multiply themselves. It just takes place naturally. So what would be the point, the main point of this parable that Jesus is teaching? What would be the earthly main point of this? I think it's pretty safe to say that the same seed that is cast out by the farmer has different results based on the soil that it falls on. That would be the main point. It's not the seed that's the issue. If it was the seed that was the issue, we'd have a different parable where we would say the seed fell on two soils that were the same and there were two different results in those soils. Then we would be looking at the seed and we'd be saying there's something defective about that seed. There's something integrity-wise that's not right about that seed, but that's not the case in this parable. The seed doesn't change. The molecule structure of the seed is the same. It's the soil that has a different result. And that different result can be shown in this little chart that we have here. On the footpath, it neither sprouts, grows, or produces. On rocky soil, it sprouts, but it doesn't grow, it doesn't produce. On the thorny soil, it sprouts and grows, but it doesn't produce. And on the good soil, we have it sprouting, we have it growing, and we have it producing. Typically, in the Gospels, we don't get the spiritual interpretation of a parable. But in this particular situation, Jesus is introducing parables, and so he explains this parable. We don't even have to guess what this parable is all about because he goes and explains it to us. So let's look at his explanation of this parable, which begins in verse 14. It says, The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word 
to others. So we learn immediately that the seed represents God's word. And specifically, it's referencing God's word about the kingdom of God. Jesus came announcing that the kingdom of God was here. Now, this doesn't identify who the farmer was, because that's really not the main point of the parable. But the farmer would be Jesus, because he is the one who announced, who came with the message that the kingdom of God was here. And then the soils would be the others that heard the message and that the message was delivered to. So Jesus starts to talk about the different soils in verse 15. He says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. I think it's important to recognize right up front that it says that it was given to them. They did hear the message. It wasn't like they were not aware of it. But the birds, identified here as Satan, came and took it away. Now this is where individuals can get a little off base theologically. Like I said, there's only one main point to a parable, and some people want to take a parable and say, okay, well this says that Satan's a bird. Well, no, Satan is not a bird. It's, it's a parable. But it does say that there is an agent behind the message that's making it not effective in that person's life. It is not just the person's will, it is being stolen away from them by the enemy of lies, by the enemy of deceit. The enemy does not want it to germinate. He does not want it to grow. He wants to keep the soil hard. He wants the heart to be hardened to God's truth. So when we look at this soil, we need to recognize that evil is at work when that message doesn't have an impact. The second soil, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Their heart embraces Jesus and the message quickly with great joy, but that response doesn't have any depth. The soil is shallow. So it withers and dies out with the heat of the sun. You know, the heat of the sun can be pretty unbearable. Um, I rode my bike across country, and I can remember one day being out in the desert, getting up at, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning um, to ride across the desert. And it was probably the most beautiful morning I've ever experienced. Just out on the bike, no one around, the sun rising, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. A couple hours later, the pavement was melting and my dog's feet were burning up. 
All I wanted to do was get out of there. How things can change quickly. In this parable, Jesus says that the sun represents two things that those responding favorably to the message often face. And the first is problems of life. You know, adversities are going to come. Hardships are going to happen. Things are going to be tough. I was watching a social media thing just yesterday, and this girl was screaming at this guy that was presenting the gospel, and she was screaming, why should I repent if all I'm going to do is suffer? You just told me I'm going to suffer, so why should I even repent? Often, we question why we should move forward in our life with the Lord when things are just tough. Sometimes we question God's goodness and his care. It could make our plant die. Plant dies also when there's opposition. and In our lives, persecution may look different than it looks someplace else. Maybe you're not being opposed by one particular person, but in general, you may be the only individual in the group at work or in your neighborhood or in the community that's received the message. And being in that position can really turn the heat up. You can feel alone. It could be difficult. We all know people who have positively responded to the message of Jesus, often with great fanfare and excitement. Some of them are well-known public figures. And then soon, they stop. They end up giving up the whole thing. Because when things get tough, they bail. They want the air conditioning. Third soil, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. This is the thorny soil. This is someone who hears the message, they receive the message, it begins to grow in their life, but they never, they never mature because it gets choked out by the distractions of this world. Three things are mentioned that can choke it out. First is the worries of this life. Can anybody relate to that? Just looking at financial, political. There's a lot of anxiety that can take place in our lives. Especially when we focus on that rather than focusing on the one who controls that. A little test. How many of you, or how much time do you spend listening to current events and the news Versus how much time are you reading God's word and listening to God's word? If it's skewed, chances are 
It may be choking some things out. Second, the lure of wealth. Possessions have a way of adding up and also consuming our time and our heart. I retired recently from my job that I've had for many, many years, and when I retired, I realized that I was complicating my life rather than simplifying my life in retirement. And I said, something's wrong here. I should be trying to simplify my life. But I had all these possessions that were complicating my life. And I knew that I had to figure that out so that it wouldn't control me and leave no time for the things of God. Little test here, just a statistic. Um, the average American spends $3,500 a year on entertainment. The average church-going American gives less than $2,000 a year to ministry. Where your heart is, it's where your money goes. Could it be choking out what God is trying to do in your life? Third, the desire for other things. It's not hard for us to fill up our days with activities that we like. And there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. I mean, some things God has given us to enjoy. But when we take it to an extreme and it distracts us from the best thing, then we have an issue. You know, we have a core value at Alpine um, and one of the core values is that we give up what we love for the things that we love more. So a test in this area. What do you love? Does it get in the way of the one you should love the most? Then we come to the final seed, the good soil. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and it produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. And this is the only soil that has a harvest. And the harvest says that it was actually a multiplied harvest. So take the concept of one plant that produces seeds and creates two plants, and then those two plants, each one of them creates two plants. If you do that seven times, you're going to have 126 plants. But there's a whole concept at Alpine when we talk about going full circle and helping mentor somebody else. If you just mentored two people and those two people did that, sooner or later there's gonna be 126. And that 126, if you go three more seasons, turns into what? 1,022. 
It's the law of multiplication. That's what fertile soil does. It reproduces. It multiplies. So now that we have kind of an understanding of the parable, we can look at what the spiritual meaning of it is. So the earthly meaning, remember, was the same seed that was cast out by the farmer has different results based on the soil it lands on. The spiritual meaning is the message of the kingdom of God that was being delivered by Jesus was being received differently by those that heard it based on the condition of their heart. It wasn't the message that was different. It wasn't the power of the message that was different. It had to do with the heart. Was the heart cold? Stone, stony, hard? Was the heart shallow and weak? Was the heart preoccupied, distracted? Or was the heart sold out? This kind of answers the question that we posed at the beginning of why one family member receives the message and another one doesn't. Why one, one person produces a harvest and another person doesn't. It is the condition of their heart. What is the condition of our heart? I think we can all relate at some point in our lives where the message didn't mean anything to us. Or we received it with great excitement, but then we kind of just dropped it. Or having it be a priority in our lives, it was something that was a priority in our lives, but then other things came along and consumed us and it no longer became a priority in our lives. Maybe one of those is where you are now. Maybe we need to be honest about the condition of our heart. Are we that last soil? Are we that fertile soil? I know we want to be. I want to be. But in order to be fertile soil, that soil needs to be tended. You need to add organic materials to the soil for it to produce a harvest. What is that organic materials that we need to be adding to our lives? Well, it's God's word. It's the truth. It's spending time in prayer. It's being around other believers. It's fellowshipping. It's walking in the Spirit and living by the Spirit. Because if we don't tend our soil, we will end up being one of those other soils. I know that most of you have received the kingdom of God into your life, but we still live in a world where the enemy desires us not to be fruitful.
To those who have ears to hear, Jesus says, listen and understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just, I know that we desire to be fertile soil. Um, Lord, I pray that we would tend that soil, um, that we would make that a priority in our lives, that we wouldn't let other things choke you out of our lives, and that we wouldn't just bail because things are a little bit difficult. And that we wouldn't let the enemy just steal and keep us under his possession. Father, we just pray that you would help us reap a harvest in our lives. That we would recognize that that's what's most important. Open our eyes and let us see. In Jesus' name. Amen.